than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 72 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we are going to continue looking at the first season of the New Adventures of Superman with the next four Superman segments and the next two Superboy segments. That will be specifically in the first half. It will be The Threat of the Thrutans, Crypto's Calamitous Capers, and The Wicked Warlock. And then in the second half, we'll go with the Chimp Who Made It Big, a Superman segment. The Superboy segment, the Man Who Knew Superboy's Secret. And then we'll finish things up with the Superman segment, the Deadly Icebergs. But before we get to that, I have some feedback to address, the first of which is from a familiar writer, friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 67, in which I talked about 3-in-1 and the Brainy Burrow of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. Dave writes... Greetings, Mike. Almost to the end of The Adventures of Superman. I'd have wished for you that these were stronger episodes. Certainly, 3-in-1 is better of the two for this week, and I've always enjoyed seeing Superman involved with the circus, since his costume was so strongly influenced by the costumes of acrobats, aerialists, and wrestlers and strongmen often seen in traveling circuses. Of course, we really don't see Superman at the actual circus, but in my mind, I love imagining Superman performing at the circus for a couple weeks, as promised at the end of the episode. We do get to see a nice bit of physical comedy by Jack Larson as Jimmy is trapped in that trunk, and it was good at the end to see Atlas knock a couple heads together, as we've sometimes seen Superman himself do. Sadly, even I have a hard time praising the brainy Burrow. I do want to address a couple of points you made, though. You ask at one point, who names a character Tiger? Well, in Spider-Man comics, I seem to remember that Mary Jane often calls Peter Parker Tiger, and in real life, there's a fairly well-known golfer named Tiger. On another point, when Lois makes her crack that, as I always say, if you're going to break out of jail, do it in broad daylight, I take it as her being sarcastic, since broad daylight is a clearly a terrible time for a jailbreak. Beyond that, I have nothing else to add to the discussion of the brainy burrow, except that I do wonder if Carmelita the burrow will ever meet Lily Bell, Sylvester J. Superman's mule. Looking forward to next week's coverage of the final two episodes of The Adventures of Superman, both of which are fun, but especially All That Glitters, which is a great wish-fulfillment fantasy, which is great for kids of all ages. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. And as usual, I'd like to thank Dave for his feedback. And uh, yeah, there's you know not much to add to what he said about uh, three and one. You know, just a, you know, it was a fun episode. Not one of the best. Not clearly not one of the worst. You know, just a solid episode. And you know, seeing the uh, the strong man who was duped kind of give the criminals his uh, their comeuppance was uh, nice to see in uh, in that sense. And the Brainy Burrow, well. Yeah, you know, what can you say? But I will answer uh, some of Dave's uh, point. Yes, he. I did say at one point, who names the character Tiger? Well, in Spider-Man comics, I, yeah, Mary Jane often called Peter Pike, Peter Parker Tiger. You know, I think Mary Jane was kind of teasing him at first, calling him Tiger, and then it just kind of grew from there to a uh, term of endearment. And uh, yeah, there was a fairly well-known golfer named Tiger. Even, uh, however, Tiger Woods is not his real name, as the well-known golfer named Tiger's actual name is Eldrick Tant Woods. There, and now you've learned something about Tiger Woods that you never knew before. 
It's an educational show, this Man of Screen podcast. Learning, learning all kinds of stuff here. So, anyway, I'm guessing that our criminal's name is not actually Tiger, or he's not his given name. It's probably a nickname he picked up as, apparently. None of these three examples are people who were given the name Tiger at birth. And, yes, Dave, you're probably right that Lois is making her crack about uh, breaking out of jail in broad daylight sarcastically. I still think, and I don't remember if I mentioned that this in the episode or not, but maybe someone should make a meme. Actually, I think I did mention this. Make a meme. Noel Neal sitting at the jail cell. You know, kind of like in the vein of the most interesting man in the world. I don't always break out of jail, but when I do, it's in broad daylight. And I I don't want to know what would happen if Carmelita the Burrow ever met Lily Bell, Sylvester J. Superman's mule. I'd like to think Lily Bell would maybe kick Carmelita. You know, Flight to the North was such a fun episode, and I don't want to sully my uh, enjoyment of it by associating it with the Brainy Burrow in any way. So, thank you, Dave, for your letter. We will get to his comments on episode 68, in which I finished my run of the Adventures of Superman in next week's episode. But before that, we're going to uh, move on from Dave to uh, Kirk Greenfield, who is writing in on the, his subject as Positive Kryptonite. Kirk writes, Hey guys, just listened to the final pair of shows in Season 6 and realized I had some exposure to these shows as well, though they are not as clear in my memory as the big forget. You know that glitters? I think someone, an adult, must have been explaining what Fort Knox, the gold standard in alchemy was. But someone also was explaining the positive and negative kryptonite and how that gave or removed powers. Possibly my older sister. Which brings me to my question. If this final episode answered every kid's question, gee, what would it like to be Superman or have its powers, then it leads to the obvious question, how can I get them too? It occurs to me, since that kids' vitamins were on the rise in the late 50s and 60s, one a day and eventually Flintstones, perhaps someone was preparing to market a positive kryptonite vitamin for kids to help you grow stronger and emulate Superman. Have you heard of anything along these lines? No, Kirk, I... And this is from Kirk Greenfield, uh, co-host of the Imperious Rex Confessions of a Serial Service Invader podcast. And to answer Kirk's question, and I'm not going to speak for Bob, who's not here, but I can't say that I have heard about this. It's not really something I really thought about watching the episode, but, you know, obviously the whole positive and negative kryptonite stuff was uh, a dream, so none of it actually has any bearing in any kind of comic reality. And I guess you can get them, too, by getting knocked out by sandbags and dreaming about it, but I don't know much about the history of kids' multivitamins, but, you know, I had Flintstones when I was growing up in the 80s, and I do remember at one point, I think I had vitamins with S-Shields on them. Might have been vitamins. Or was it candy? I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes when you look back on these vitamins. They look like candies, which is probably a way to get kids to eat them. But I never heard it marketed as positive kryptonite. The only time I ever thought of positive kryptonite was during this episode. And I'm not sure vitamin makers would necessarily want kids thinking they could emulate Superman. Yeah, it'd be great to grow stronger, but you don't want a kid popping a, vita- a multivitamin and then jumping off the roof trying to fly. To answer Kirk's question, no, I haven't heard anything along these lines. But if you have, you know, let me know. Um, email in at manascreen at gmail.com. And let me know if you've heard anything about this. I'd be interested to hear. All right, so with that behind us, we're going to move on to an email from Gene Hendricks. His subject is finally caught up. Mike, I just finished my listen through of the Man of Screen podcast just in time for your summer vacation. I want to let you know how much I've enjoyed your coverage of everything Superman through the end of the George Reeves series. Whether you're alone or have guests on, I have always had a great time listening. As I have told you before, I really appreciate your insight into the newspaper business and how it relates to the Daily Planet. I'm really looking forward to how this works as we approach more modern times and hopefully a more realistic look at reporting. I can't promise to write in on every episode, but I will try and comment on those I have strong feelings for. 
Whether that's for the subject matter or the episode itself, I can't say, but I'll try to email you or, or at least comment on Facebook. Also, in honor of your sacrifice, I plan on watching Super Pup before August 1st. I hear Misery Loves Company, Gene Hendricks. And Gene is uh, the, uh, he writes the uh, Hammer Strikes blog, and he is the host of the Hammer podcast, the Anime Freaks, and Quantum Cast, all on the Two True Freaks network. And he and Gene is also the manager of the Two True Freaks Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I have, you know, I've exchanged some Facebook messages with Gene over time as he, I knew he was catching up. And leave it to Gene to, ca- to be all caught up just in time for me to take my break. I'm obviously, I'm back from my break now, but, you know, the the break was designed, well, not really designed for it. It was designed to give me a break for the most part. But, you know, having joined the Two True Freaks when I did, you know, that w- would have been a good opportunity for people who discovered the show with episode 63, you know, giving them time to look, kind of listen back to the backlog. So. And, you know, you still can. The backlog is still there if you haven't listened to it. It's all there at twotruefreaks.com. So I'd like to thank Gene for coming along and uh, writing in. And I am glad that uh, Gene enjoys my insight into the newspaper business. Uh, I can't say there's going to be much commentary on that as I cover the Fleischers and the upcoming Super Friends cartoons. But I am definitely going to have some a lot to say about it when I get to the Reeve movies and... Well, maybe the Reeve movies. I don't see a ton of reporting, but there's enough that I can probably comment on it. And uh, there'll definitely be a lot to say about the way the Daily Planet is roaming when we get to Lois and Clark. So, thank you, Gene, for writing in there. And I have one final letter. And this is from uh, Chris Cavanaugh. It's really not a letter from Chris. It's uh, basically what it is is a YouTube link to uh, this kind of YouTube slideshow somebody made of the Superman and the Secret Planet script. I'll put the link in the show notes and uh, you can check it out as your leisure. With that done, I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with the third half hour of The New Adventures of Superman, The Threat of the Thrutans, Crypto's Calamitous Capers, and The Wicked Warlock. Hang around, folks. Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great! So... What should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. <sighs> Mike, there are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Oh, yeah, yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. New episodes drop on the 14th and 28th of every month. The show and the website, www.overlookeddarknight.com, launch in May of 2017 from the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network. Alright, welcome back folks. The New Adventures Superman segment, The Threat of the Thrutans. 
When 310 astronauts find themselves stranded on Earth, they threaten to blow up a rocket base if they don't get a rocket provided to get them back to their galaxy. Superman stops their bomb and sends them homewards. And, uh... Before I go too far, I want to mention that all the synopses in this episode are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Alright, so we start with uh, what appears to be a satellite flying through space, and we've got some green-skinned aliens that kind of look to me like the Force Phantom aliens, just colored green instead of blue. And they're on their ship, and uh, get hit by a, gets hit by a red sun, and uh, these guys were just kind of minding their own business when they got knocked to Earth, and... Uh, Apparently, they don't seem malicious at first. They just want to get home. So, yeah, here we are with Jimmy and Clark. Clark is working, and Jimmy is complaining about getting crappy stories when he asks why the Earth is shaking. Gee, Mr. Kent, I wish I could get in on a real story. I mean, a a world-shaking event. Jeepers, what did I say? Looks like you got your wish, Jimmy. The school children. They're in danger. Jimmy, stay under that desk. I'll be right back. So now here are Jimmy and Clark. Clark is working, and Jimmy is complaining about getting crappy stories when he asks for something earth-shaking to kind of jumpstart his day and get him a good story. Well, wouldn't you know what happened after that? If you guessed that the earth would start shaking, you would be right. So Clark runs to the window, checks out what's going on, and tells Jimmy to continue hiding under the desk because when the earth is shaking, you hide under the desk. Now, that's fine, but however, if you look at the animation of Clark talking to Jimmy and changing it to Superman, you'll see that he's, it's at the exact same desk. Even the books on the top right are in the same place. I checked. So, did Jimmy see Clark change it to Superman as he didn't bother to make a trip to the storeroom? So, Superman flies off and saves the school by catching the fallen radio antenna. Then Superman does some musing, apparently. What could have caused those tremors? An earthquake? Impossible. Must have been an explosion. But where? You know, I mentioned before, Superman spends a lot of time in these episodes narrating what's going on to himself. And uh, now we've got these two military guys uh, checking out a spaceship flying overhead. And here we are in 1966, and there's a spaceship flying over their heads, and they're awful calm about it. So the Thutans have caused the tremors, uh, but they didn't want to attack. They just want, I guess they just wanted to cause an earthquake. They wanted to show the people of Earth how strong they are. And they need a rocket to help them get home. Understandable, they were knocked off course by a meteor, as I recall, and uh, they asked the people of Earth to give them one, or they'll create another explosion. Apparently, asking for help didn't occur to these guys. I mean, they're thinking, we need their help, best to start attacking as soon as possible. I know when I need help from someone, the first thing I do is attack them. It in no way makes them willing to help, and it wouldn't work for me, and it's not really going to work work for these guys. So, to ensure that they get their rocket, they've planted a bomb, and Superman picks up speed and lies down on the bomb. He takes the explosion, but, you know, wouldn't you know it, he causes an explosion. Massive rock slide in the process. You know, meanwhile, we've got these two military men just kind of lying around down in the mountain, trying not to get squished. You know, if I were them, personally, I would run off the mountain. Because I personally would want to be hit by falling rocks. And one of them sees Superman, and uh, they're all happy. Yay, Superman! Here, and here's something you can't do in live action, especially in 1966. As Superman takes a tree and uses it to plow the trench. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure in, act- in actuality a tree would stand up to this. But, sure, why not? He's holding the tree with both hands and just kind of flying through and uh, creating a trench. The animation is still static, but it gets the job done. So, now, after Superman is going after the through-tan ship, he carries it into space and pushes it away. They There they go, and they didn't have to destroy Earth in the process. They could have just asked for help, which, as you can see, Superman gave them without asking. So, when they're saved, the, mil- the head military dude says Superman is truly a Superman. Very nice dialogue. 
And uh, speaking of punny dialogue... Mr. Kent, how do you manage to get such great news scoops? Well, I'll tell you, Jimmy. Sometimes I've got to dig for a story. You know, like you did with the tree. Hardy har har. Alright, on to the Superboy segment. Crypto's Calamitous Capers. This is written by George Cashton. And our synopsis. A trio of villains cause trouble in Smallville, but every time Superboy tries to stop them, Crypto attacks him. Superboy realizes the villains have a gadget that causes Crypto's strange behavior. Superboy discusses his dilemma with his foster father. What do you suppose makes Crypto act like that, Dad? I don't know, Clark. Could be he's picked up some strange malady. I don't think so. Because as soon as the crooks make their getaway, he snaps back to normal, begs me to forgive him, and... Wait a minute. What is it, son? I recall a strange ultrasonic vibration picked up by my super hearing each time Crypto turned on me. I didn't place much stock in it at the time, Dad, but I wonder... And box Crypto's ears. Together, they quickly round up the crooks. Another basic episode, and you know, I mentioned this before, all these episodes are going to be your pretty basic fair. If these stories were in the comics, they'd be no, probably no more than eight or nine pages. This episode starts with Superboy playing with Crypto. They're basically doing some flying tricks, spinning up and around and down and around again. And they're doing that. That's how they spend their morning. Now I've got these three guys in the woods. The professor has a huge beard, color of white, and you've probably got the perfect model for Santa Claus. The other one has a little bit of a goatee on his chin. Kind of looks like Michael Shannon's Zod from Man of Steel. And the third is just there. So apparently the professor, let's call him Professor Longbeard, he hits a button and Crypto goes nuts and starts attacking Superboy, who immediately cancels playtime. Sometimes the dog just goes too far. And I'm sure those of you who have dogs of your own are familiar with this. You know, as soon as you're kind of done playing with the dog because you have to do something else, you know, there's a dog right there nudging at your hand because, you know, the dog may be insatiable, but you are not. So, but uh, apparently they're going to put this little uh, device they have to good use and plan a crime wave. So there they are, so now what? The time has come to test my greatest invention, gentlemen. Uh, what is it, Professor? A radio? This, my friends, is a sonic beam transmitter. So what does it do? It transmits an ultrasonic vibration, attuned to the unique brain waves of that super dog. Uh, I don't understand. You will? Watch this. What's the matter, Crypto? I don't know what's troubling you, but playtime's over until you get over this. I don't understand, and I've mentioned this a little bit during my coverage of the adventures of Superman. I don't understand if Superboy's flying around why you would start a crime wave here in Smallville. Just go somewhere else, and then you have a lot less to worry about. So meanwhile, Super Crypto is covering his eyes and whimpering. He's embarrassed. You know, he doesn't like uh, attacking Superboy, and he doesn't know why he did, and he's kind of ashamed of himself. The dog acting is decent. The animated dog seems to emote better than the animated characters do. Superboy puts Crypto's behavior to clowning, but then the dog is happy enough to be forgiven. So they fly off, and all is well. And now the uh, professor and his men are robbing the sports arena. And the uh, professor shines his little gadget at Crypto, and he attacks Superboy again. And then it wears off. And then it happens a third time. You know, it's almost like they use the same animation. And with all this going on, with all of the, uh, you know, this whole episode, Superboy is lecturing uh, Crypto about helping the criminals get away. You would think after the third time this happened, it might be a good time to leave Crypto home. And maybe some, this time he has to uh, go to uh, fight crime on his own. And then uh, we get our first look here at the Kent General store. Pa Kent, who is Jonathan in this uh 
I believe Pocket or Jonathan and Martha in this uh, show, uh, has no real explanation for what happened to Crypto. At this point, Clark realizes that he heard something hypersonic before uh, Crypto went uh, berserk, and he ignored it then, and, you know, perhaps this can be a learning experience for him. Don't ignore things, even if they seem out of place, or even if you can't account for them. So here's the third robbery, this time an armored car. Superboy is finally paying attention to the hypersonics, and he comes up with this genius idea of covering Crypto's ears. And Crypto's got this purple covering on his head, and when he stands next to Superboy on his hind legs, the bow makes him look like a rabbit. I thought it was kind of funny. So Crypto eats the device, and Superboy destroys it with one hand, and lifts the truck with the other. And they gotta take the criminals to jail, as Crypto winks at the camera, George Reeves style. Another nice little segment, you know, you're, you're going to see Crypto a lot more during the Superboy segment. So that is the one thing that really set the Superboy segment apart, in my eyes at least, from the Superman segments. Is that you're going to see, you know, stories of, there's stories of a boy and his dog. Which is good because that gives the Superboy segments a little bit of their own flavor, you know. They're not just Superman stories of his adventures when he was a boy. Like I mentioned last week, I really like to see Superboy stories that can only be Superboy stories. Maybe that's not so much of a 1960s ideal or the way things were done back then, but it's my preference now. I mean, even when we got the Superboy series in the 80s, I mean, a lot of that you could have, once he graduated, once he went to his internship, you know, the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters really only became a substitute for the Daily Planet, and those could have just as easily been Superman stories. That's really the allure of the Superboy story for me, seeing him kind of come of age on his way to becoming Superman. All right, so back to Superman. The Wicked Warlock. Using an almost exhausted magical gemstone attached to an end of a wand, a sinister warlock robs an armored truck to steal a new magical gemstone to replace his aging one. Each time Superman attempts to grab him, the warlock turns himself invisible and escapes. Superman tricks him into holding the magical wand above his head and grabs it out of his hand just as the warlock turns invisible. Okay, that's the synopsis. Nothing uh, too tricky about that. Pretty straightforward. I really don't have much critique, really, for these segments. I mean, I mean they're real. I'm enjoying them. They're nothing special, but they're not bad, you know. Some of the dialogue is clunky, but, you know, it's what it is for a 60s children's cartoon. I think Bud Collier continues to do a good job as Superman, so he's definitely not phoning in his performance. It's definitely on par with what he did in the radio show and on the Fleischers, but I just wish the animation was better. That would have... It's typical filmation animation, as those of us who watched He-Man in the 80s would know. That was also filmation. So anyway, as this story starts, we see the armored truck go by, and we can tell this is an evil wizard by the sharp teeth and pointed ears. Not to mention the evil laugh. You can't forget the evil laugh. So, the warlock brings the statue to life, and what do you know? The cannon shot down the armored truck. Of course, the uh, marching statue is impervious to bullets. Now, I haven't talked about the Daily Planet office yet, but I do believe this is the first show to show the planet roof with the globe on top of it on screen. I mean, I know it had appeared that way in the comics by this point, but you never really saw the exterior of the planet in the Fleischer's too much, and you never saw the exterior for the... Daily Planet office in the Kirk Allen serials, as I recall. And I don't remember the building that was used for the planet in the first season, but the exterior was the famous Los Angeles City Hall in seasons two through six, none of which had a globe on top of it. And you can tell by the scale of the motorcycle that the uh, Birds Life statue was quite a lo- bit larger than everything else. So the Warlock takes off on his motorcycle, he turns invisible, and then drives off on a visible motorcycle. Why go through the trouble of making yourself invisible? if you're going to drive away on a physical vehicle. Makes no sense to me. Does it make any sense to you? 
write in. Let me know. Manascreen at gmail.com. Of course, the warlock surfaces and apparently treads water, rages at the clouds, and begs his aging ruby to hold on a little bit longer. He's probably not the best wizard in the world, but he's, you know, he's trying his best. He's, he's doing his job. He's going to make this story last at least six minutes. Now, Superman is with these two dumb guards who can't tell if anything is missing. I don't think anything's missing, Superman. Wait, let me see that ruby. A sorcerer's ruby. A rare gem which in the hands of a warlock possesses great magic powers. Now I know who's behind these shenanigans. Maybe they should have taken an inventory beforehand. Of course, but just by looking at it, Superman can tell it's a sorcerer's ruby. That was enough to tell Superman the warlock was behind it. And I guess the invisible motorcycle wasn't enough to clue that there was a magic afoot. So the warlock brings a billboard behind Superman to life and the guards get drenched in toothpaste. So meanwhile, Superman is punning with all the Adam West ridicul- ridiculousness that he can muster as he mentions these two guards are in a sticky situation. So after all that, Perry is musing about how the warlock is more powerful than Superman. The warlock recharges his ruby and sends a cruise ship into the street. Because... Why not? He's wreaking havoc. A cruise ship isn't supposed to be on the land. Therefore, a cruise ship is on the land. But this is a nice effect. Everyone is very nonchalant about the cruise ship going down the street. Now, Superman has told us at least twice now that the warlock is a male witch. And uh, after he puts the ocean liner back in the ocean, Superman has a plan. Superman, how, how could this happen? See that man up there? He's a warlock, a male witch. His black magic made it happen. Oh, jeepers. Can't you catch him? Every time I try, he makes himself invisible. But I have a plan that might work, if I can get him to raise his cane above his head. All it takes is him to raise the wand over his head. And after he does that, Superman will film a deodorant commercial. So Superman challenges the Warlock to spin the Daily Planet globe, and as they're doing that, he grabs the wand, and then he gives it to Jimmy. Because nothing bad can come from giving a magic wand to Jimmy. That's the last time he'll raise Kane around here. Gee, how will the Warlock get along without his magic ruby? From now on, he'll just have to squeeze toothpaste with his fingers, like everybody else. If you like bad puns, this is the show for you. So, the, uh... Warlock is defeated, he goes to jail, we go to break, and when we come back, we'll come back with the chimp who made it big, the man who knew Superboy's secret, and the deadly icebergs. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier? To explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com 
Available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. Standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Alright, welcome back first. We're going to head right into the Superman segment, The Chimp Who Made It Big, by Ross Braddock. A monkey is sent into the outer space and an experimental space flight is bombarded by rays when a piece of kryptonite smashes against the nearby meteorite. This causes the monkey to grow into a large eat monster, causing destruction on Earth and giving Superman a hard time with his kryptonite vision. Alright, so here we go. This is our classic Superman versus a giant monkey story, or a giant chimp. And neither the chimp is named neither Beppo nor Titano. In this episode, or segment rather, it's Toto. And, uh, you know, we start in space with a ship flying through and a bunch of meteors hitting each other. And as you can see, yeah, there is a chimp in it. And he has a surprised look on his face when he when his ship gets knocked around. Meanwhile, Clark, Lois, and Perry are following the story about the chimp in the Venus probe. Apparently, Lois and this chimp have some history as we see a black and white photo of her holding it. And they're all worried about the monkey, which will burn up on entry into the atmosphere. Great Scott! Without controls, it'll burn up on re-entry into the atmosphere. That's for sure. Wow, I hate to think of the poor chimp who's trapped in that flying coffin. Poor Toto. Poor, poor little chimp. He was so sweet. Where are you going, Kent? Be right back, Chief. I like that so far we're not really worried about Clark making all kinds of excuses to in order to get out of Perry's office. He just says, I'll be right back when he has to change, and uh, off he goes. Up goes Superman into space. He's always in that same pose when he flies. It's just the background that changes. His arms are kind of out, bent at the uh, at the elbows, and his legs don't move at all. Superman heads up into the media shower. Here is, a, uh, here is the rock punching that we see in the opening sequence all the time. And Superman is in a, kind of a genuflect like position when he's punching. It's a very uh, Wayne Boring image to me. If he were on the ground, he'd kind of be down on a knee as he's flying forward in the upright position and punching. So, like I mentioned before, the chimp's name is Toto. So Superman catches the capsule and lands on Earth. Here is Lois Lane doing the news, TV from the looks of it. This is Lois Lane at the NASA Manned Space Station. As you can see, the ground crew is preparing to open the hatch of the crippled Venus probe capsule which Superman has just brought safely back to Earth. Now I'm sure you all join me in the fervent hope that everything is a-okay with Toto, the darling little chimp I've told you so much about in the Daily Planet. Good grief! Something seems to have gone wrong. Better have a look at what's going on in there with my X-ray vision. Great Krypton. Can that be Toto, the little chimp? Sweet little Toto, the lovable chimp, is turning into a gargantua. 
This is still a few years before Clark Kent would become a TV newsman of the comics. So Toto, the uh, little chimp, emerges uh, a giant ape from the machine. So when Lois uh, speculates that whatever damaged the capsule uh, turned Toto into a giant. You know, it is kind of a leap in logic from where she's sitting, but we know from watching the episode that's exactly what happened, but... You know, I guess it's just the logical conclusion to jump to that that's what happened, and sure, it works. But we do realize that Superman kind of meets his match a little bit when Turtle fires at him with kryptonite vision. So this is uh, the first time in this series that we've seen Superman weakened. So while he's dying, Superman takes the time to uh, deliver the necessary exposition about what kryptonite does to him. And by now, Toto has grabbed Lois in a very uh, King Kong type of way. And the military is paying no attention to the fact that Lois is in his arms and uh, is just constantly shooting their missiles at at the giant chimp. And he leaves and he is stomping and smashing things as he goes. So uh, the military is going to continue their assault on the giant chimp because that's what you do when a giant monkey is uh, destroying everything in sight. But, you know, Superman comes up, he scores two minutes from the military and... Uh, and uses some lead roof insulation. Could you imagine now the outcry if there was lead in roof insulation? So the military is holding its fire, but I'm not necessarily sure if that's because Toto was holding Lois in his hand or if it's, or if it's because Superman asked him to. So Superman uses his lead shield to block the kryptonite, knocks out Toto with one punch, and the day is saved. And this one has a very Fleischer-esque ending, as Perry uh, congratulates her on the scoop, and she praises Superman. Great scope, Lois. Thanks, Chief. But I couldn't have done it without Superman. Couldn't have done what, Lois? Kent, where in the blazes have you been? Why, uh... Good thing you didn't cover that Toto story with me. You'd have been terrified. You're probably right, Lois. You're probably right. And that's how most of the early Fleischers tended to end. Except this time, you know, Clark returning to the office is added in, and they talk about how he would have been terrified had he gone out there. So nice little ending. This episode kind of reminded me the most of the Fleischers. It starts off with with a Toto in the plane. It happens. He turns into a giant gorilla. Superman, you know, they hear about everything in the Planet Office. We've talked about this before. All good Superman stories start at the Daily Planet, and then we just kind of move on to the main action, and then we have our little nice little ending in the Planet Office with Lois thanking Superman. We get the wink. I love that they're continuing the George Reeves wink in this filmation show. So, Moving on to the Superboy segment, The Man Who Knew Superboy's Secret. After changing Superboy to Clark, a costume figure shows that he knows who Superboy is. For I, like you, come from the planet Krypton, just as your father rocketed you to Earth before our world exploded. My father launched me to the planet Zaldi or another galaxy. There I, too, use my superpowers to fight evil. And now, Superboy, I have a surprise for you. A surprise? It will take some preparation. Meet me out at Desert Flats in one hour. I can hardly wait. Neither can I. <laughs> he has Superboy meet him later and then claims to know of an antidote to kryptonite. He's really an alien from another planet who Superboy has previously thwarted. He hopes to trick Superboy into losing his power to being captured. But Superboy noticed he had a scar, and so was suspicious. I knew you were a phony when I got a look at your hand. How could a super being have a scar like that? So, I sent an ultrasonic call to my dog. Using his heat vision, he burned out the master coil of your transfuser as you threw the switch. 
I only played along with you to find out your scheme. You win, Superboy. But I'll still have my revenge by destroying all of us. And then defeated the bad guy, yada, 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 yada. These uh, synopses aren't as, not as good as the Adventures of Superman ones are, but, you know, these are only five to six minute segments, so we'll make do. And this starts with Superboy and Crypto apparently on patrol, because that's what they do, you know, between Superboy's glasses, and they go on patrol. Crypto and Clark really can't be seen together because, you know, people would know that Clark is Superboy if he started walking around with a dog with a red cape on him. Now, this show hasn't really shown Crypto aside from being with Superboy, and I haven't really read a ton of Superboy comics to really be, consider myself an expert on this situation, but wasn't, you know, Crypto when he wasn't wearing the cape, wasn't he Clark Kent's dog? Dave, Dave McElvenny, Bob Fisher, somebody, you know, just let me know. I mean, it's rather clear that nobody notices if Crypto is, in fact, Clark's dog. So, apparently, Crypto and Clark can't be seen together. And then, uh, of course, this guy in a green costume, which looks remarkably uh, designed like Superman, just a slightly different color scheme, some more greens and blacks. And uh, Crypto is apparently sad about having to leave Clark's side, but you know what? He goes home, probably to take his cape off. Now, I think this guy's name is Flaxter or Laxer or whatever. Lacker, I don't know. Anyway, apparently, he is washed from space. Apparently, he says he's from Krypton, too, and he just got sent to a different planet in another galaxy. You know, yeah, you know as a viewer of uh, many a Superman show, cartoon, reader of many a Superman comic, I can tell there's something off about this guy almost immediately, but Superboy doesn't see it yet. So apparently, uh, he has overcome his weakness to Kryptonite, mostly because he's not Kryptonian, and he convinces him to plug his arm and try to, try to sell Superboy on uh, immunity. And the animator, and this is when the animators chose to show us a scar on Flexor's hand. By them showing us the scar, we know that it is important, but they have not shown us that Superboy has taken any note of it yet. But the only thing Superboy really gets out of this situation is a beatdown. Apparently, uh, Superboy once stopped this race's invasion of Earth, but Superboy gets his powers back and kind of beats down Flaxter, or Flaxter, and this is where he learned about the Scar, and apparently Crypto destroyed everything off-screen while Superboy was kind of playing along with his new alien friend. So, however, in uh, in defeat, Claxter was going to destroy the Earth, and apparently Superboy decides to not do anything for himself in this episode and sends Crypto after the missile. Here, yeah, go fetch, boy. You know, it'd be nice for Superboy to do some of the hard work, but you know what? Superboy and the dog have earned some playtime. What? Oh. oh, you silly super dog. Of course we can play now. Oh, you earned it. Away! Yay, all is well. And just like his master, Crypto winks at the camera, too. Nice little episode. Nothing special about it. If I didn't have to sit and t- think about what to say about these things on a podcast, I probably would just kind of watch them and uh, kind of forget them as- almost immediately after they were done. I'm hoping that down the line we get to a few that are a little more memorable. From now, we'll just move on to The Deadly Icebergs. This is written by J.W. Doctor. I wonder if uh, J.W. Doctor is a woman. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, this was the 60s were different times. And as we know from Star Trek, which was, which had a prominent writer in the form of D.C. Fontana, whose actual name was Dorothy, a lot of women who wrote, who did screenplays and wrote for TV shows would use their initials so others wouldn't necessarily know that she was a woman. I wonder if that's the case here with uh, J.W. I could be wrong, but I was able to find very little information about uh, J.W. Doctor. The only credits to that name are The New Adventures of Superman, so someone who only worked on this show. So, With that being said, we're going to move right into our synopsis. A band of uh, high-tech pirates set loose three magnetic-powered icebergs, which are set to detonate explosives upon impact. There's enough explosive on each of them oversized ice cubes to blow a ship to smithereens. I hope the electromagnets are strong enough. Don't worry. 
They'll go to her like a homing pigeon. Good. That's phase one. With large, with a large nuclear-powered ship on board, Clark excuses himself from a suspicious Lois Lane and. What's the matter with you, Clark? Lois, I think that SOS is a phony. Well, good grief! Why? Because the location of the alleged crippled ship is far out of any shipping lanes. Oh, Clark. I'd feel better if I had a look at that spot myself. Yourself? Who do you think you are, Superman? I'll see you later, Lois. Could he... Oh, no, that's impossible. Flies off as Superman, as Superman to capture the villains and stop the deadly icebergs, which he does. And this is a pretty good one. You know, what I like about this one is, you know, not so much the threat of the icebergs. That's kind of, while interesting, it's kind of out there. Kind of, uh, seems like a hard way to accomplish your goal, but, you know, whatever. It's the 60s, it's the Silver Age, we're rolling with it. But I really like the uh, suspicion of Lois, uh, believing Clark to be Superman. And that's the first time we're really going to see that in the uh, filmations. So, we're going to start with our criminal gang who are destroying the icebergs and the, to use them as weapons. And, uh, they're going to attack a ship and naturally Lois and Clark are on the first atomic-powered ocean liner because, you know, why wouldn't they be? It's new. The adventure's going to be here. They need to be on board. So, Lois points out the ship may be carrying top-secret cargo. Mrs. Clark, I've heard a rumor that we're carrying a top-secret cargo. Hmm. Did you find out what it is? No, but you know what, Clark? I've got a feeling this is going to be another time when I wish you were Superman. Uh-oh. Clark smiles as she says this, but, you know, a wink would have worked real well here, too. So meanwhile, the bad guys will send a fake SOS to send the liner barreling into an iceberg. And Clark is suddenly concerned about the location of the SOS. How would he even know about an SOS? You know, doesn't sound like something the ship's crew would share. You know, maybe he, uh... Heard about it with his super hearing, but that doesn't explain why he'd be talking to Lois about it. You know, that would just add to her suspicions as to how he would know about it. So, Lois keeps referencing Clark being Superman in this episode, and as he leaves, she seems to wonder if that's the case, even if she refuses to believe it herself. So, Clark flies off, and uh, noticed in the animation, we're seeing a little more of Superman's back. The uh, yellow S seems to flap along with the cape, proving it is possible to animate it. I mean, yes, it's filmation, but the... Uh, and the cape doesn't move that much, but movie people, it's not that hard. You could put an S on that cape. So Superman found the location, but uh, no ship. But the uh, liner's crew found the icebergs, and they're doing everything they can to get out of the way. They certainly do not want to end up reenacting the last uh, hours of the Titanic. Lois, meanwhile, is banging on Clark's cabin. And then Lois uh, suddenly wishes Superman were here. You know, I like her pointing out that he had already taken a lifeboat. You know, that's kind of a, a Lois-like opinion of Clark, you know. While she's not believing Clark to be Superman, she's always accusing Clark of trying to uh, take the easy escape. And, you know, I like that she's thinking about that. But this was a pretty easy capture for Superman, who kind of puts these three criminals on the dangerous ship. And uh, Superman figures out that the icebergs are wired with explosives, and he destroys the two icebergs and has to lift the ship over the third one. And he made it look easy, but he just got the nose of the ship over the iceberg and then he quickly destroys the third one and flies back into his cabin then out comes clark with two life tubes lois asks the age-old question of why he disappears when superman shows up and vice versa clark kent where have you been hiding under your bed well no i uh <sighs> clark yes lois how come every time superman appears you disappear and vice versa. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Oh, Clark. 
know, Clark, that's not a denial. But he just winks at the camera in George Reeves fashion. And you know what I'm thinking about now, now that I've just kind of gone through this episode? I think, at the moment at least, this this is only as far as I've watched. I mean, I may have watched these, you know, long ago as a kid, but I really don't remember them. I mean, I watched all kinds of Superman cartoons. I, I know I watched some of the Ruby Spears when it was on. I don't remember much of that either, so... It's possible I found this on somewhere and watched it. I'm not sure much of its syndication history after it was taken off the air in 68, but, you know, maybe I came across this. But I really have no real memory of it, so it's fun to uh, rediscover these episodes as I'm uh, going through. Or not necessarily rediscover, even discover them for the first time. So, But I think so far of the eight that I've gone over... So far, I think the Deadly Icebergs is my favorite. Just because, you know, it's got the elements that I like. It's got it's got some Lois and Clark stuff, which I really like seeing. That was one of the, one of the best parts of some of the Fleischer stuff. That there was always Lois and Clark, even if I thought the dynamic didn't always work, you know. I sometimes question why Perry would waste his resources on Lois trying to beat Clark out of stories. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. That's kind of the way these things were written back then, you know, so... Anytime Lois and Clark spend a great deal of time together during the course of an episode, I'm going to think highly of that. And that's really the first time we've seen this on the new Adventures of Superman. I hope we're going to see it more down the line. Next time, I'm going to cover the next four Superman segments. The Robots of Riga, The Invisible Raiders, Neolithic Nightmare, and The Return of Brainiac. I'm kind of hoping that in one of those previous three segments involves the first time we've dealt with Brainiac. Because that kind of makes The Return of Brainiac a little strange, but... Maybe the episode will explain that to me. And we're also going to cover the next two Superboy segments, the Deep Sea Dragon and the Super Clown of Smallville. In the meantime, if you'd like to send me some feedback, you are free to do so at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast and the group should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And uh, you know, if you're enjoying the show or even not enjoying the show, why don't you leave me a review on iTunes? That'll help other people find it. And, you know... Hit the Amazon link over at uh, 2TrueFreaks.com. That helps keep the lights on here at the network. So, until next week, have a good one, folks. Take care. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast